everybody. Welcome back to the Guide on the Side podcast, the podcast about discovering your inner self as a guide on the side, a leader, a teacher, and a friend. Welcome to episode two. Okay, so today we're going to talk all about (laughs) kind of the side context of Guide on the Side, which is the topic of the Enneagram. Um, The Enneagram is diverse, it has a really rich background, and it has been a tool for many, many years, but um, a tool specifically for me as a guide on the side and helping me direct my life as a parent, as an educator, um, as a partner, and just as a functioning human or as as functioning as we can be nowadays. So we're going to really dig into um, the background of the Enneagram Enneagram typing and kind of the the triumphs and tribulations, the pitfalls and the mountaintops of how the Enneagram can be a tool for you and how it can better help you understand yourself and begin to communicate more effectively with others. So I sort of stumbled into the Enneagram um, several years ago. I had kind of heard it bubble up in different podcast episodes and, you know, just funny memes and videos and things like that. And a lot of the Enneagram was seen through this lens or this perspective of like, oh, you're so like woo-woo or like what we would call in my household, like crunchy, like granola crunchy. Um, The Enneagram was for hippies. The Enneagram was just another way to kind of classify yourself or put yourself in a in a box or in a pigeonhole. Um, The Enneagram was kind of a way to laugh at someone else. And and all of that, I could see some of the truths to that. And, And some of those things resonated to me. But Honestly, the more that I dug into the Enneagram, the more I realized like this is a tool, it's a strategy. And as a teacher, I'm always looking for strategies that help work in my classroom. They help either me work more effectively, they help my students be more efficient or work more effectively. And so I really um, I really attached myself to the Enneagram in a way. And I follow a lot of different people through social media who are very um, – in depth in the Enneagram. They're very knowledgeable. I would consider them experts. And so I am in no way an expert. I am fully transparent in who I am and what my skills and capabilities are. Um, I am still a student of the Enneagram. And I I mean, I have some knowledge. I've done a lot of research. I identify as a type five. If you are familiar with the Enneagram and you might know that a type five is an investigator, um, the person who's always like seeking more knowledge and seeking more information. That is definitely me. And, and I, I, I love that about myself. Um, but I, I'm not claiming to be an expert in any way. And just as, you know, maybe like a fitness influencer, you know, needs to claim like, Hey, this hasn't been approved by a doctor, the FDA, you know, like I am not approved by a doctor and FDA. Um, I am purely just here to kind of give you some information and give you some insights into a really special tool, a very helpful tool that's going to be, I think, well, I think, I think it's an incredible part, an integral part of helping you become a better communicator because really that's, that's what life is about. That's what being human's about is we have this ability to communicate with each other. And unfortunately we're always, um, perceiving communication or or interacting with people through our own personal lenses. And the Enneagram kind of can help you with that too, of changing your perspective, understanding what lens you're looking through. And there's a lot of great information out there. So we're going to start with that, um, of just kind of how I fell into the Enneagram or how it fell into my lap um, and how you can better use it in your life. So I stumbled upon this podcast called the Sleeping at Last podcast. And so I'm going to plug Ryan's podcast for him because it is a beautiful podcast. Um, Sleeping at Last is his moniker for his um, musical endeavors as a musician or as a, an artist. And he's a native of Chicago like me. So right away I was like, okay, he's pretty cool. Though we might be jaded like, you know, Chicago people are. Um, and he has really started to 
envelop himself in the world of the Enneagram as well. And he works really closely. He's very close friends with a man named Chris Hewitts, um, who's based on Nebraska. And Chris Hewitts, in my opinion, is kind of like an Enneagram guru. And he's a person that I turn to often through listening and reading. He's written several books um, and training manuals, and he offers his own podcast. And he's been on so many different um, episodes of other people's podcasts. And he really is what I would see as an expert. He's someone that I look up to. He's someone that I respect. Um, and one of the unique things about the Sleeping at Last podcast is that Ryan's friendship with Chris Hewitts really helped Ryan um, discover a bit of more about himself and how he communicates. And that instigated him to start writing music. And so one of the coolest things that you will get out of his podcast is that he uses the lens of the Enneagram and he writes a song for each of the nine types. Um, and he employs musicians who identify as each of those types specific for that song. And then he breaks down the song. He, he breaks down the whys and hows and the Easter eggs of his creation of this song, in addition to a chat with Chris Hewitts in each of the episodes. And also a breakdown of each of those nine types that he's focused on. So the the Enneagram was kind of like quote unquote discovered many, many years ago. Um, and it has really morphed over, you know, decades and decades of integration and discovery and application typically through the lens of like spirituality or education. Um, and as we've come more into a modern age, a lot of people are using the Enneagram as more of a psychological tool um, or a social-emotional tool. And I think that that is really what resonates most with me is that we can use the Enneagram or the concepts of the Enneagram to better understand our motivations and, and where we're coming with things and what people are coming with on their end when they come to communicate with us, whether um, it's a positive communication or, or a negative interaction. Um, it helps us better understand each other. And at the end of the day, isn't that kind of the most important thing is to better understand each other? So I'll save you some boredom maybe, <laughs> unless you're a history buff and you like this kind of stuff. Uh, but I'll give you just the nitty gritty of the background of the Enneagram. There are so many different resources out there, podcasts specifically, dozens and dozens of podcasts specifically focused around the Enneagram. And I would like Guide on the Side to be a little bit different. I would like it to incorporate the Enneagram, but not necessarily be only about the Enneagram. I do think it's really important that you understand the Enneagram though, because it is a big factor in how I've um, come upon some of my own discoveries and how I've become a better guide on the side in the classroom and at home. <laughs> and so I, th I think that there's merit in understanding the background of the Enneagram. Um, you know, the, the, the mythology of it is that it was developed um, a long time ago by um, a man from like the turn of the century, from the 1900s. His name was George Gurdachev, and he was a teacher. He came from what is now modern day Turkey, um, and that he was really wanting to discover um, kind of the the inner workings of humans and, and our spirits and how human beings are asleep to our full expression of spirit and will and that there's a lot of factors into why we're asleep and that maybe it's kind of time to wake up to these things and have an awakening. And there's a lot of things going on in history at, concurrently at that time. And, you know, he was kind of coming from this Middle Eastern perspective of where he's got these experiences of, you know, European religion and Christianity. He has these ex, um, experiences of like Sufism and, um, and Islam and Eastern Asian, um, you know, religious practices, yoga, Buddhism, all these different factors. And there is a common thread when you look at religion or faith-based um, spirituality, things like that, there are common factors and commonalities amongst each other. And it actually helps us to feel more connected. Um, well, it should help us feel more connected rather than um, more separated or more disparate. But um, he really saw that there were three centers in, in a human. There was the body, the heart, and the mind. And that each of these areas needed to have some attention or some awakening. 
And what he was noticing is often, in his opinion, um, you know, like religion was only focused on one of those centers, the heart center. And, um, you know, Buddhism was in meditation were really only focused on the mind and things like that. And he wanted to intersect or interconnect these three like tenements or these these pillars of understanding and of, of being more awake. And all of these different like laws of metaphysics and, and things like that. So he had originally called his programming the fourth way because he wanted to develop all those three kind of identities or centers within the condition of daily life. So that fourth pillar was how do you apply this? And to me right away, that was like a, a major green flag. And I was like, yes, that's what I need. I want to know how do I apply these things? It's great to sit and think about them, um, but how do we practice them? And so some some years pass on and he has um, a student under him named Oscar Ichazo. And Ichazo kind of um, he is Peruvian. He kind of takes this idea of the Enneagram and directs it down um, a more religious world and, and talking more about your personality, the essence of your personality. And things, you know, morph and develop based on the, the origination of the Enneagram. And Ichazo comes up with what he calls the 108 Enneagons. So there's these, these 108 different... Um, parts to your personality. And really only four of them move into what we see as the modern Enneagram. Um, but the fact that he was teaching these things, that he's elaborating on someone else's discoveries. And I think as a scientist, or when I look at things through a scientific lens, to me, that's the fascinating part is when you you see these commonalities in so many religions and I, and I don't group the Enneagram with religion. I want to make that super clear that I am not looking at the Enneagram through a spiritual lens. Um, I think that there are some connections to spirituality and your faith, um, but very often because of all these teachings and the avenues that the Enneagram was taken down, it is often compartmentalized with Christianity or, or with spirituality or an organized religion. And I want to keep that very separate as a teacher, you know, that's kind of ingrained in me, you know, this, this separation of church and state. And I think that the Enneagram can be a tool more holistic for everyone. It doesn't need to be related to Christianity. And very often it is tied to Christianity. And you will listen to other podcasts or read other resources that are connected to spirituality. And a lot of that is because of a man by the name of Richard Rohr. And he is another Enneagram expert. I would definitely call him an expert. He was kind of the guru for Chris Hewitt's. And I... 100% respect this man, um, not only as an expert of the Enneagram, but as just a religious philosopher. Um, not to say that, you know, religion is philosophy or things like that, but um, to, to look at things through a more uh, spiritually scientific lens, if you will, or, or the, uh, the connection between those two things. So Richard Rohr has really inspired a lot of communities to integrate the Enneagram into their personal practices as well. He just happens to be a Christian um, and he looks at things or draws things through the Christian lens. So there, there's a variety of other contemporary um, Enneagram teachers and, and practitioners, and it has really become popular. And I would say in the last five to 10 years, um, really within the last five years, it's kind of become a cool buzzword and a lot of things are being passed through the internet and social media and finding your type and how to use your type. And like I had said originally, you know, funny memes and videos kind of mocking the Enneagram in a way, which is tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but remembering too, that we're all we're all using these tools in our own way. And maybe that is someone's way of using humor to maybe cover up some sadnesses or some fears. Everything is kind of fear-based as a human anyway, that idea of fight or flight. And so I want you to maybe accept the Enneagram in a more open-minded or growth mindset way. And understand that yes it has its roots it may be in religion or in religious practices or maybe it continues to be rooted in some faiths but it is 100 percent not a religion 
Um, understanding the Enneagram or finding your Enneagram type does not tie you to a specific faith or an organized religion in any way. It is purely an asset. It's a tool to help you better understand yourself, just like going to therapy or, you know, the modern world of psychology is a tool to help us better understand ourselves. The Myers-Briggs, you know, there's a variety of different personality tests. And I see the Enneagram as beyond your personality. It's yes, it has to do with your personality and maybe what you're motivated by or focused in or um, or you, you kind of lean into, but it is beyond that. It's beyond your habits. And so there is a number of research that's coming out um, recently about brain-based Enneagram and using this in more of a psychological and philosophical way as opposed to a religious way or spiritual way. So as we dig down, there is um, there's a, a graphic and it is kind of a nine-pointed star, if you will, a geometric shape with nine points to it intersecting lines in between some of those nine points. And those nine points connect to the nine most basic um, virtues or personality styles or motivations or whatever you really want to call it. Um, Gershoff and, you know, obviously down the line, all of these researchers and educators have kind of delineated that we typically fall within one of these nine categories under specific environments and in specific ways. And some of us are very um, one type, you know, that we we settle in with one specific type or we can identify closely with one specific type more readily. Um, but honestly, all nine types are within us. And we are all nine types and all nine types are us. And I think that's important to see, again, the commonality between us as people. That yes, I might be a type five. I'm an investigator. I'm always looking for information and doing research and wanting to learn more and read more. Um, and yes, I might show some of the low qualities of a type five. I might be aloof. I might be withdrawn. I am definitely introverted. Um, and I know those things about myself. And I think that once you start to become more aware you can help yourself become more aware. You can help yourself wake up to the world around you. And I think that that, that intersection right there is important for me personally as guide on the side. Um, that intersection of I'm aware of what I need. I'm aware of or I'm beginning to be aware of who I am. I want to be aware of who you are. And I hope that you're on the same journey. I hope that you are in the process of becoming more self-aware as well and waking up to ourselves. And that right there is the foundation of mindfulness and meditation. It's falling awake, not falling asleep. And the Enneagram kind of helps us fall awake to ourselves and to each other. And to me, that's super exciting and energizing. As a five, I'm like, yes, give me more, feed me, um, feed me this information because I want to do better. And the, that aspect right there of I want to do better, that is not typically a characteristic of a type five. That's a characteristic of a type three, who is like the quote unquote, the achiever, the person who kind of is competitive, both externally and internally competitive. The person who wants to be the best and not in a bossy way, but to be seen. And that's not my motivation either to be better. Um, Maybe my maybe it's more like a type two. I want to be better for others. You know, a type two and a type eight um, are often um, countertyped or mistyped. And the type two is the helper, the person who wants to give, give, give um, and wants other people to be happy. And so even though I more closely identify or I lean into being a type five, I have type two energy in me. I have type eight energy in me. Um, I'll take it to the mattresses when I need to. Um, but I also have that type nine energy and, and I want to keep the peace. So there, it's multifaceted and, and there's multi-points because it's multifaceted. And we as humans, we're like little diamonds. You know, some of us are a little more rough cut than others, but like a diamond, we also are multifaceted. And when you can allow yourself to back away from 
identifying as a type. Well, I'm just a type five and using that as an excuse. Well, I'm just a type five, so I'm allowed to be introverted and that's why I don't talk to people at parties and I don't show up to things. No, that's still just an excuse. You could be any type and still find an excuse to do something like that that you don't want to do. Um, are there reasons for that? Sure. That, you know, as a type five, um, my I'm always worried about my resources being depleted, not having enough time, not having enough energy, um, a variety of resources. And so when I'm in a state of, you know, anxiety or um I'm overworked, I'm tired, I will lean into maybe those like darker low points of my type five. But that isn't to say that I don't have those other energies within me or there's other characteristics within me. Um, and that's exciting. And I hope that it excites you um, to, to dig into that as well. So it's important to remember when we're talking about the history of the Enneagram, that there are these kind of psychological and metaphysical aspects to it, um, being which these laws, the law of one, the law of three, and the law of seven, and that these are kind of forces that connect and mediate all of these different nine points. Um, Heraclitus once said that all things are subject to an endless process of becoming. No one can step twice in the same river. Um, and that is a quote of a quote um, from the book, The Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut. And she is another fantastic expert in the world of Enneagram. Um, if you are excited about the Enneagram or curious about the Enneagram, she's got about a 500 page book that you can dig into. Um, it is chock full of wonderful information though, and really um, well-developed ideas and aspects um, regarding the Enneagram and regarding types of the Enneagram. So I will refer to Beatrice Chestnut a lot. Um, she has her own podcast as well. So if you're curious, you can check her out. Um, but I like that idea of like you can never step in the same river twice that, you know, we're always changing and evolving and becoming. And I think that is an important connection to make when we discuss the nine points of the Enneagram or the nine types. Um, those words are used interchangeably and I want to make sure that the vocabulary of this episode specifically but of the Enneagram in general is well understood to you. As a teacher, I want to make sure all of my students understand the words that I am saying so that they can better apply and more deeply understand the connection of those words. So, that's a little tip from the guide on the side. Make sure that everybody knows the vocabulary and that we're using those things interchangeably, whether that be type points or types in general. When we talk to nine points or nine types or nine virtues or nine strategies, um, we're usually relating it back to the quote unquote types, the Enneagram types. And you'll see that a lot. Um, I think there's actually a group or a podcast called the typology and, you know, this idea of like being a type. I would like to move away from the terminology type. Yes, it is related to one of the specific points on that um, nine wheel, but I feel like using that kind of vernacular is a little bit damaging. It is more fixed mindset. And I am always about growth mindset. Um, I'm a student of Jo Bowler. If you know who that is, she's kind of the queen of growth mindset. And I would like to shy away from putting you in the box of a type and having you look more broadly, kind of like from a bird's eye view. If you were to look down into yourself from the top and see this, this paradigm, this connection of nine points, these nine aspects of you and maybe which one would be more highlighted kind of like like a density map or a population map or you know when you're in a plane at night and you are flying over a city and you look out the window and all of the street lights you know are more bright and condensed and concentrated into the city area and then you you look out into the suburbs and beyond into the more rural areas this is kind of what it might look like inside of you if this this idea of these nine points and where are your city lights lit up the most um and so i'm just going to kind of go through those primary types um and maybe an identity or a word that is typically connected with those types because i it is important to have um, 
a metaphor almost, you know, a, a connection, a, a single word to help trigger the deeper aspects or the context. Instead of saying type one, I can say the reformer. Um, sometimes people will call a type one the perfectionist. And perfectionist, you know, has a negative connotation. And I, my daughter is a one, <laughs> you know, and she is a perfectionist and I am a one. And growing up, I can remember really being a one about so many things, like making sure everyone is following the rules, making sure, you know, my clothes are lined up in a color coded order by season, you know, really specific detail focused things that, you know, when you look back, a psychologist might be like, wow, that those are signs of obsessive compulsive disorder or, you know, and sometimes that perfectionism would get in my way and it would keep me from being joyful in my life because I was so worried about not being perfect. And, you know, we all have work to do. Um, and I, we're constantly kind of telling our daughter, you know, like it doesn't have to be perfect and like try to relax. Let's, let's loosen up that city lights, you know, in the type one, which is kind of a perfectionist. And, so we're gonna we're gonna shy away from perfectionist, um, and we're gonna call the type one the reformer. They they like stability. Um, they want things to be safe and factual. They want to be able to identify things clearly, um, and they they do like things nice and clean. And you know maybe Marie Kondo is a type one, and and that would be fantastic. And we can kind of Marie Kondo parts of our life. And when we do those things, um, we see the one come out in us. And we might not always identify as a one. I'm no, I no longer see myself as a one. I've moved on past some of those perfectionism traits. They're always in me, obviously, but, um, but I can Marie Kondo with the best of them. And so to, it's better to embrace it than to shy away from it or even worse, to resent it. Um, the type two, we often call the helper or the giver. Um, my husband is definitely a type two and um, they are important people. I think that we need so many more type twos. We need so many more helpers and givers in the world. Um, unfortunately, the pitfalls of some of those type twos is that they overgive, that they're so concerned with the the benefits of others and giving others grace and providing for other people that they they don't provide for themselves. They don't cast that same grace on themselves. And the type two is one of the highest percentage types in education. So when you look back, particularly elementary education, when you look back to your grade school teachers, your elementary school teachers, um, or if you're an educator now and you are a, a, you know, a kindergarten teacher or a first grade teacher, more often than not, we see the type two highly lit up, very strong in the world of education and especially young education. Um, they're the lovers. They love unconditionally. They want the best for everybody. And they really sacrifice themselves at the cost of the people that they care about and the people around them. And so it's important, I think, that, um, you know, for my own kid, if I thought back like, oh, her kindergarten teacher, I would hope is a two. I would hope is a giver and, and a helper because that's what kids at that stage need. Um, as you start to listen to the descriptions of some of these types, you might start to think about people in your life that maybe fall into some of these patterns or these categories, because really it does come down to patterns. Um, everything comes down to patterns. There's math around us always. Um, and we're going to have a whole nother episode about subtyping and mistyping and typing others and things like that. So try not to put that person into tight of a box, um, allow them the opportunity to kind of stretch to those other nine points. But yeah, as you listen to these often, uh, a person or two might come to mind and, and you can kind of send a little loving compassion to them, um, as you think about them and maybe the type that they might identify as. The next is the type three, um, and the type three is usually called the achiever. Sometimes they're called the performer or the succeeder, um, but I typically call them the achiever. Like the type one perfectionist, the type three is often kind of 
given the title of overachiever um, in a negative way, in a negative connotation. And the the type three wants to be seen. I mean, that's that's really their biggest concern is they want to be valued. They want to be seen. They want to make sure that they're always optimizing their best efforts, that they are pushing themselves and, you know, with all types, like sometimes to a fault and they push themselves too far or that's all they care about. You know, they might be driven by success um, in a in a positive way or in a negative way. Um, you know, type threes get things done though. They are the doers and they'll be the ones that kind of step up and take charge and make sure that tasks get managed and businesses get run and all sorts of things. So we love you type threes out there. Um, even if we don't have the, uh, the energy (laughs) or the confidence maybe to lean into that type three, I think sometimes we need to, uh, at the bottom of this kind of wheel, this idea of the nine points is the type four. And the type four is, I like to call the individualist. Um, Sometimes the type four is called the artist or uh, this one hits real hard, but the the tragic romantic as Helen Palmer often calls the type four. Um, When you think of people in the arts, you might stumble upon some type fours. They're deep feelers um, and they want to preserve their uniqueness. You know, when you think of musicians and artists and actors um, and writers, all of the different um, humanities, areas of humanity um, and artistic humanity, those type fours want to be seen as individual. And that's why they are the individualist. Um, They're very often artists. But just because you're not an artist or just because you're not a musician doesn't mean that you don't have type four in you. doesn't mean that you don't have the the tendencies because type fours, like I said, are big feelers. Um, and they are romantics in many ways. They both good and bad. You, they might romanticize how a situation goes and maybe it doesn't go the way they wanted it to. And then when they feel disappointed, they're going to have big feelings about that too. Um, I, as an artist myself, having a BFA in fine art, I have dealt with a lot of type fours and I have type four in me. And when I'm being creative and tapping into um, those different wells of creativity within me, I I can see the four. I, I let the four kind of come and flow out as needed. Um, relating back to the Sleeping at Last podcast, if you listen to the type four song, uh, it is a beautifully written song and it really highlights um, the kind of the pitfalls of the type four in their feelings, but also the beauty that they see. And that to me is the most important thing about type fours is they see beauty in so many different um, aspects of the world. And then we get to um, the type five. So when you're following this diagram around um, the Enneagram and you're kind of looking from the top and moving like a clock, clockwise around the right hand side we've done one two three four and often those numbers are interconnected with numbers opposite them on the wheel and then you you make this chasm jump um and i i believe it was naranja that termed that idea the chasm between four and five and the four and the five are not connected and they are they are opposite almost each other on the wheel um and i think that this is super fascinating and really interesting to me. So the type five is the investigator um, or sometimes called the observer or the thinker. Um, I prefer to call us type fives the observers because that's exactly what we do. We like to look at things from a really analytical way. Um, We are very left-brained. And so when you think about the Enneagram as a tool, that that analytical component is really heavy on the type five, just like that super creative or emotional component is really heavy on the type four. So there is a book that was recently put out by um, Dr. Jerome Luba, and the book is called The Brain-Based Enneagram. And it's a research tool um, that's kind of like in beta process right now. But he, he also talks a lot about these things, about connecting the brain um, and neurology to 
the idea of the Enneagram. And so just that that jump from the left brain or the right brain to the left brain as we move around the wheel, I think is really fascinating as a scientist um, to me. And my kids always get a kick out of it when we talk about brain science. And I, I show them how these things are, you know, interconnected. So just like the other types, um, maybe a, a negative connotation to the type five is not just the thinker, but the overthinker. Um, we are classic overthinkers and oftentimes worriers, uh, worrier, not warrior. <laughs> and we've got our work to do, um, but we definitely have a lot of information in our brains and uh, we are going to dominate at Jeopardy. That's just, that's how we roll. So <laughs> as we move up the wheel clockwise still, um, we get to the type six and I will be like fully open the type six, even though it is right next to me as a type five on the points of the Enneagram, I feel the most disconnected from, I don't know a lot of type sixes in my kind of inner circle. Um, this, the type six is the loyalist sometimes known as the guardian um, or the trooper. Helen Palmer calls the type six the devil's advocate, which I thought was interesting. Um, that That isn't necessarily a term that I would maybe connect or use, but the type six is loyal and almost loyal to a fault at times. Um, to me, they are also the worriers. They're kind of, they live within their head um, and they always have a backup plan though. They are strategists. And I think that that's my favorite thing about um, the people that I do interact with that are type six is like they have plan A, B, C, all the way to Z. Um, they're the kind of people that I want around me when there is a natural disaster. <laughs> they're the kind of people that I need to tap into when there is a natural disaster. Um, I live in Southern California and this has been a particularly difficult year um, the past like two years actually for wildfire season. We're battling some really bad wildfires right now. And um, back in September of 2020, um, we actually had to evacuate our home for several days due to a very close fire. And as I was packing <laughs> to evacuate my house, uh, I realized that I really needed a type six um, to help me because I had no clue what to pack or how to be prepared for something like this. So I, I applaud you type sixes for just kind of knowing what to do when tragedy strikes and, and kind of caring enough to worry about that too in the end. So um, they, they're loyal, they're loyal friends and they're, they're always gonna have your back. So as we move up the wheel, um, we come to type seven. And I know lots of type sevens. Uh, I have a lot of type seven in me at times. And the type seven is the enthusiast. Um, sometimes they're called the dreamer. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they're called a generalist, but I wouldn't really consider them generalists. I would say more um, enthusiasts is probably the best word. They are um, they're the movers and shakers. They want to have fun. To me, I love having a type seven around because it's always going to be a good time. There's always going to be a great conversation. They're kind of like a balloon in a windstorm sometimes that they're, they're all over the place and it's hard to kind of pin them down to things. And I think that a lot of people who are type sevens, um, they identify with that. They understand that like, oh, I can't ever feel settled because this idea or this need for freedom um, and at least the space, the opportunity for freedom is really important to a type seven. Um, and that's what makes them so fun and dynamic and diverse. And they kind of, you know, blow into town and blow back out again. And one of our best friends is a seven. And I mean, there's a lot of struggles that can come with that. Um, but we know that when we're around a seven, like we're always going to laugh. We're always going to have a good time. And as an introvert, I'm like, okay, the sevens are coming. So I, I need to uh, put on my my extrovert pants and get out and like see the world with them because they love to travel and, and they always know the best places to eat, in my opinion. They have the best restaurant recommendations. Um and they're right next to the type eight and the type eight is often called the challenger or the leader. Um, sometimes they're called the boss <laughs> or the confronter. Um, I think that people who are type eights often get a negative um, look about them as being um, aggressive. 
And there are so many really important type eights in the world. Uh, Mother Teresa, you know, supposedly identified as a type eight. And yes, there can be bossy people. And sometimes when you see like negative leadership, typically those people might be a type eight um, because they, they often challenge the status quo. But I think that's important, too, when we look at people who are out doing humanitarian efforts, you know, whether that be, you know, digging wells or providing resources to the LGBT community or um, things like that, they, they want to see change happen. Um, we do see a lot of people in the military or police officers, um, firefighters, paramedics, those kinds of frontline workers being type eights because they see the need to save others. So like other types, like the six and the two, um, they're super loyal to the people around them. They are defenders. And I, I prefer to call them the defender as opposed to the challenger because I think that defender um, more readily describes their intention or their goal. Maybe not all type eights. Maybe we do have a lot of like bossy or confronter type eights, but they're defending a purpose, and um, and and that's important. We need people to stand up for each other, and they are more extroverted in their um, in their opinions and in their values. And people like me as a type five have strong values and convictions too, but I'm too shy to say anything. I need those eights in my life that are willing to put themselves out there. Um, and whole, like wholeheartedly defend other people and, and challenge maybe the, uh, the negative aspects of the world. And that brings us to the top of the wheel. If you're looking at it like a clock, we're at the 12 um, on the clock, and we have reached the number nine. And that is the last of our archetypes or our typical nine types. And the nine is the, the peacemaker or the, sometimes called the peacekeeper, um, the mediator, all of those are great descriptions for a nine. And I think that it's really interesting that the nine's right in the middle of this diagram of this, this image. Um, it really is the, the median, the center line between um, two very different hemispheres of understanding. And the peacekeeper is the one that kind of straddles the fence on both ends. Sometimes to a fault, I think it's really difficult to be a nine. Um, I find myself like leaning into nine tendencies when you you want everyone to be happy like a two does um you don't want to make waves but you're also kind of afraid like a six or a five you have big feelings like a four but you kind of cover them up um to keep the peace with everybody and to keep everybody happy and we see a lot of nines um when we deal with children and as a teacher i do give the Enneagram test to my students. Um, I currently teach 12-year-olds and it is something that we study throughout the year on better understanding ourselves. And I think that's important because um, children, you know, going through adolescence are still trying to find their identity. And oftentimes the Enneagram can kind of help guide them in a variety of ways, but also enlighten them to other identities, other hats that they haven't tried on yet. Um, and that's what's nice about the nine. The nine is kind of a chameleon in some ways, and they can put on many different hats and make a lot of situations great. But like the two, like they do it at the cost of themselves often. And they, like a five, they need to recharge. Um, they need to kind of like hunker down at home and snuggle in and just reset because they take on the energy of a lot of other people. We see a lot of therapists that are nines. Um, they're great listeners. They're also great advocates, though. Like a seven, they want to have fun. You know, they are rather outgoing and charismatic like a three. And they're they're the beautiful parts of many of the other types. Um, but you can say that about all nine types. You can say that about, about everybody. Everybody has got some beauty to share and some joy to provide others. And I think that that... Um, is one of the the most important parts of understanding the types of the Enneagram um, and using it to kind of dig in. So that is a whole lot about a whole lot more, <laughs> um, a whole lot of little. Uh, there's a lot more to be done and to discuss and to discover about the Enneagram, um, but I want to, to just give you a small snippet um, of 
how you can begin, how you can get started. That's an important aspect of Guide on the Side podcast is here's some rich information. Okay, what do I do with it? So there are a couple things that you can do with what we have discussed today. Um, I have mentioned many, many podcasts. You can go back and listen. I can recount them real quick. One of them is the Sleeping at Last podcast. Um, Another is a podcast by Chris Hewitts. You can check out books by Beatrice Chestnut. Um, If you're really wanting to dig deep in this, honestly, has nothing to do with the Enneagram, but he is an amazing writer. Um, Anything by David Nickturn, but he wrote a great book called Awakening from the Daydream. And it's a really beautiful Buddhist book by David Nickturn that has a lot of connections to the Enneagram. Chris Hewitts. Um, one of my favorite Chris Hewitt's books is The Sacred Enneagram, which is really um, foundational and path-driven. So that is a, a fantastic resource if you are a reader. Um, again, the Bain, Brain-Based Enneagram by Dr. Jerome Luba. He also does a podcast called Neurotheology with his brother, who is a pastor. So if you are intrigued by using the Enneagram in a more spiritual aspect, um, they have great Enneagrams. Um, Ian Morgan Crone, he has great Enneagram podcast. There is, there's so much out there. There's so much content out there right now regarding the Enneagram um, and things like that. Yes, there's funny stuff. You know, there's funny memes. There's funny TikTok videos and things like that. Um, so take it for what you want. Um, I listen to a lot of Pete Holmes. If you're familiar with the comedian Pete Holmes, he also is a big Enneagram nerd. He identifies as type three and (laughs) he, um, he likes to say or like likes to comment that when you go and listen to the Sleeping at Last podcast, when you go and listen to the Sleeping at Last songs based on the Enneagram, whichever song makes you cry is your type. And I actually experimented with that um, last school year with my students, and I didn't tell them the title of each of the tracks. I just played all nine songs. And as they listened... I had them kind of like keep a little post-it note or or make a little note of which song um, they were like, oh, I I really like that song or it kind of speaks to me or it energized me or whatever. And I had 21 students and 17 of my students, uh, the songs in which they chose from Sleeping at Last were actually their top percentages of types using an Enneagram detector, an Enneagram type detector test. Um, and they thought that that was like witchcraft. They're like, how is this possible? This is, they didn't believe me at first. And, you know, a couple of them would get a little bit choked up or they would kind of like get uncomfortable in the feeling almost. And I think that that's a lot of their own awakening of like, oh, my gosh, I am having big feelings about this. So I can't say enough amazing things about sleeping at last. Um, I challenge you to go and at least listen to the songs. If you can't um, devote the time to each of the podcast episodes, at least go, you know, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple music, things like that. Under the um, musician named sleeping at last, he has many, many albums out, but there is more, most recently he made a compilation of all of those nine Enneagram songs into one album. And sit through it, listen, and see which one kind of speaks to you. There's plenty of Enneagram tests that you can take, whether that be through the VIA Institute or the Enneagram Institute. There's all sorts of like online free stuff. Um, Soon on my website, uh, guideontheside.coach, I will provide some Enneagram-based I I hate to call it tests, but um, some Enneagram-focused assessments for the classroom that I am currently um, beta testing and working on. So as soon as that's out, I'll give a big plug to that for all of you educators that maybe want to dabble in the world of Enneagram within your classroom and your students as well. So there's a lot to take away. Um, I'd also kind of like you to just walk out and reflect on these different nine types and who in your life might resonate with this, um, who in your life might have been brought to mind as you listened to the types. And maybe you are going to want to dive deeper into 
discovering your own type or your own um, leaning towards. We are all nine types again, but one typically resonates, one or two typically resonate the most with us. So we will come back to this topic of the Enneagram many, many times in the future, but this is just a little um, amuse-bouche to get you started into the context of Enneagram and to kind of wet your whistle and get you excited to discover how we can use this tool to be a guide on the side, how you can use it to be a more effective leader, um, a better educator, um, a more compassionate family member, partner, parent, um, and a better communicator just with other humans in the world. So as always, we're going to kind of end with a little um, mindful moment and just kind of absorb everything that has been discussed today. Um, today we're going to have a silent mindful moment. I think that that's important to kind of settle in and kind of digest all these things that we've chewed with our time together today. Um, as always, I appreciate you. I, you bring joy to my life as a listener. Um, I hope that this has brought some joy to your life and be well. So I am safe. I am journeying in courage. I'm journeying in power. I'm journeying in patience. I am journeying in wisdom. I will persevere. I will take care.